Welcome to the Bloomberg PL Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney along with my co-host, Lisa Abramowitz. Each day we bring you the most noteworthy and useful interviews for you and your money, whether you're at the grocery store or the trading floor. Find a Bloomberg PL podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as at Bloomberg.com. I think the big issue here is we've got equity markets off, you know, roughly 15% over the last seven trading days. Just an extraordinary uh trade uh down in the equity markets and financial markets. The question I think now for a lot of investors is Will the central bankers try to come in and uh, stop the carnage? There is absolutely nobody better to talk to about this issue than Robert Tipp. He's a chief investment strategist and head of global bonds for PGIM Fixed Income. He has crossed the river from the Jersey side, joining us here in our Bloomberg 1130 studio. So, Robert, what will the Fed do? When will they do it? And will anybody even care? I think people will care. Because uh, there is a, a fundamental situation where uncertainty is rising and activity levels, especially abroad, already in the world's biggest driver of growth, China, have been seriously impacted. Uh, you know, bottom line numbers like GDP and so on, those will come out much later. But auto sales, for example, were down spectacularly, yep. manufacturing, electricity usage and so on. And now the cases around the world are kind of at a, a geometric increasing stage. And so... There is going to be a shock. The Fed is away from their mandate, which is not on the maximum employment side. They're fine there, but inflation is persistently away from target. This morning, we had their preferred indicator of inflation, the PCE print. And if anything, that is moving systematically further away from their target on the downside. So it would seem like there's a great case for them to make an insurance cut pretty much at any time. And... Uh, that could be helpful because what we're seeing now is a tightening of financial conditions. Granted, financial conditions were very easy a handful of weeks ago, but you know now it's going to make a difference going forward. Uh, financial conditions tightening, making whatever is going to happen that would uh, uh, materialize in terms of a weakening economy, uh, weakening economy worse. So I think there's a pretty good argument for them to do that. Now, whether this is like 2018, 2019, that transition where they were hiking way too late and it took them a little bit of time to, to change the rhetoric around and they really exacerbated things with that rate hike or they'll have a quicker turn, uh, it remains to be seen. But the, the initial indications are, are not that good. Um, but hopefully they'll get the signal from the market quicker this time. And Jim Bullard coming out this morning and sort of taking a rather sanguine tone about the sell-off and not necessarily signaling the rate cut that people were expecting. Nevertheless, you are seeing in the Fed Funds futures market two full rate cuts being priced in, frankly, before June, uh, and three rate cuts before the end of the year, four rate cuts by the beginning of next year. So if the Fed doesn't capitulate, the market just seems to be moving further and further away from them. I just want to ask you, though, how much will that loosen conditions? How much will that entice you as a portfolio manager to go out and buy riskier debt at these levels? Right. I think it will make a big difference. And when you look at what happened after August of last year was most recent incident of where the market got way ahead of the Fed in terms of expectations for ease on concerns about downside risks that you know, once the underlying situation had stabilized, investor confidence returned, and this time it didn't require the Fed, but once that confidence returned, the market will ease up and will take these rate cuts out of the market 
uh, after they cut maybe you know once, and you can have a recovery in risk and so on. So do you expect spreads to retest their lows, the extra yield that investors earn over benchmark rates on high yields and investment grade credit? Do you expect a lot of tightening later in the year and an incredible outperformance there? I think that this correction is the same as the corrections we've had over the last handful of years. This is, this is not going to be the beginning, I would guess, of, of a major crisis uh, in terms of a bear market in the, in, that goes on for a year or two. This is probably something that's going to be more measured in, in weeks or months, after which we go back to an environment that's not a feel-good environment for people. It's a very slow economic growth backdrop, um, but the downshifting of... Uh, risk-free interest rates around the world, which is still kind of happening on a secular basis. It's not been fully priced yet. And the coronavirus is accelerating that. Those low discount rates are going to then fuel, refuel that search for yield. And that is going to pull the spreads in and, uh, and boost returns on higher fixed income. But you have to get past this first. So uh, I'm looking at the two-year, you know, 0.9%, the 10-year, 1.16%. Uh, are 0% rates reasonable to discount at all? Uh, I think in the short term, that's that's not where we're headed unless this turns into a major economic crisis and the Fed is forced to go into panic mode. Um, but I think that the range has really continued to shift lower. We have, the Fed would like to maintain a zero lower bound. They should be able to do that. Um, but the top end of the rate cycle has gone from 20 you know, back in 1980, down to nine and three quarters in 1989, to six and a half in 2000, to the mid twos last year. And that's the new high watermark for Fed funds. And it's going to be a zero to three range on the Fed funds and probably a one and a half central tendency for the 10 year treasury. Yeah. Well, right now, I just want to say uh, we're looking at spreads on high yield debt at uh, four four 4.6% and uh, first point six percentage points over benchmark rates. Literally one word answer. Uh, Bob Michael of JP Morgan Asset Management saying he sees them going up to 600 before it's a buying opportunity. Where is the sort of tipping point? You know, I don't know where that's going to be. I would guess it's lower and, uh, and before it turns, uh, but that... You know, it is going to be a bond pickers market, right? There will be areas of trouble, but in the long term, I think spread product is is attractive. Robert Tip, thank you so much as always, and I wish I had an hour with you. We would have such a great time. Bond geeks. This is, yes, well, I mean, this is such an interesting market. Robert Tip, chief investment strategist of PGM Fixed Income. Well, as the coronavirus spreads outside of China, first to the Middle East and then to other parts of Asia, then uh, the European continent with Italy, the concerns is how prepared is the U.S. for uh, a potential outbreak of the coronavirus here in the U.S.? To help us answer that, uh, we welcome Dr. Philip Chan. He's the CEO and president of Cytosorbents Corporation. That trades on NASDAQ, symbol CTSO, up 36% today, up 85% year to date. Uh, Dr. Chan, thank you so much for joining us here in our Bloomberg Interactive Brokers studio. Just from your expertise in the healthcare industry, just give us a sense of kind of how you think the U.S. is prepared for what might be uh, an outbreak of the coronavirus. Well, thank you very much, Paul and Lisa, for having me on the show. Um, I think to basically put my comments, though, in perspective, just to give you a little bit of background about my company, uh, Cytosorbens is a medical device company that specializes in blood purification to treat deadly inflammation often associated with life-threatening infection, such as influenza, bacterial pneumonia, 
virus infections, potentially like coronavirus, et cetera. Uh, Cytosorb is approved in the European Union, uh, has accumulated more than 80,000 uses over 58 countries, uh, and has generated about 23 million in sales uh, last year. The whole goal of Cytosorb is to control the deadly inflammatory response that these viral illnesses and bacterial illnesses often generate that can then lead rapidly to organ failure and death of patients from the failure of organs like the heart, the lungs, and the kidneys. Now, in the United States, we are not yet approved. We're still an investigational product, but we are actually in a process. We're in the regulatory process of trying to get approved here in the United States. So in terms of your question about how prepared are we, I think coronavirus, uh, COVID-19, represents a very unique challenge because, one, we've never seen it before. It's a novel uh, infection. No one has immunity to it. There are no antiviral agents that are approved to treat it, and there are no vaccinations uh, approved also to treat it. And the problem with this virus is that it's a kind of an insidious virus. It lays dormant, uh, and people remain asymptomatic for up to 14 days. They may have it, they may be spreading it all over the community, but they would never know that they have it, and it's only until uh, they start manifesting the common symptoms of fever, cough, and, and dyspnea, uh, shortness of breath and fatigue that they know that they have it. So this is why all of a sudden you see these massive outcroppings of virus happening all over the world. And so in the United States, I think that we need uh, better ways to prevent the spread. Uh, and I think the initiatives uh, that we heard about recently, the $2.5 billion that are going towards this will be helpful. But prevention uh, and controlling the spread of this outbreak is key, but also is controlling the deadly complications of lung failure and shock and other things that currently we have no approved therapies to treat today. And that's what Cytosorb is doing, uh, our product. Have you had conversations with the government about expediting uh, the accreditation of your product, given what the threat is? Yeah, we've had a longstanding dialogue with uh, many agencies throughout the U.S. government. In fact, we've gotten more than $29 million in grants and contracts towards our technology over the years because of that. Uh, but we have been in touch uh, most recently with BARDA, for example, that is leading the charge against developing potential countermeasures against uh, coronavirus. Uh, we, ha we are still in the early stages of those discussions, but um, our hope is that uh, they understand the fact that there are no approved treatments for this illness, and that one of the hallmark features of what is killing people is this out-of-control immune response, and that is what we are very well positioned to do. Do you, are you aware of any patients that may have been, as part of their treatment outside of the U.S., may have been prescribed or using your product? So the product, again, has been used in more than 80,000 cumulative treatments to date, but we don't have any indication that it's yet been used for coronavirus since it is so new. I think some of the, the, the exciting news that we uh, announced today is that uh, through a partnership with China Medical System Holdings Limited in China, um, that we have now, uh, that hospitals in the Wuhan, China area have now received our Cytosorb product and are well positioned to potentially use this on, uh, act on patients with uh, coronavirus infection. We just did the training uh, just very recently of key physicians in those hospitals. Are there enough beds? in the United States? So I can tell you that when we had the swine flu epidemic, uh, that the intensive care units, which receives the sickest of the sick patients of the hospital and where Cytosorb is typically used, were inundated with patients. And uh, that is really a key concern should this uh, 
should this outbreak uh, turn into a, a full-blown pandemic. But I think that, um, to put it into perspective, you know, flu this year has already infected 30 million people in the United States alone, killing 18,000 people, right? That's one in 2,000 people have died from the flu here in the United States. And even though it was considered a, a fairly severe outbreak, it's not the worst we've seen. Uh, one year in the swine flu outbreak, 80,000 people died here in the United States. So compare that to coronavirus, it is still the major health concern today. Dr. Philip Chan, thank you so much for being with us. Dr. Philip Chan, CEO and president of Cytosorbens Corporation. Right now, we are looking at a market that has been clawing back from some of its earlier losses, although it really is whipping around. NASDAQ now uh, had been briefly positive, now down nine-tenths of a percent. The key, uh, the key issue here is a lack of conviction, a lack of understanding of the threat uh, that we're dealing with. Michael Tiedemann joining us now, Chief Executive Officer of Tiedemann Advisors with $21 billion of assets under management. Michael, there are a lot of calls saying that recession is now likely in the United States, if not globally, as a result of the spread of the coronavirus. Is that becoming your base case? First of all, thank you for having me on such a quiet week. We, uh, <laughs> it's not our base case, but there's no question there's going to be short-term economic impact. What you're really, we think the lasting impact will be on lower quality, higher leverage businesses that had less room coming into this, less, less room for error. Higher quality businesses with great balance sheets will obviously have an impact certainly one they can sustain and, and earn their way out of. Uh, inventories, you also have to remember, depending on how short this is, right now things are moving so quickly. As inventories run off, then you're going to begin seeing some supply chain issues that people have been worried about. The big delta going out two, three, four weeks will be if demand, people stop going to restaurants, if it really, if there's a shift, dramatic shift of U.S. service uh, demand and consumer activity. So one of the things that we've been discussing this morning is kind of the market seems to be really pricing in three, maybe four rate cuts uh, by the Federal Reserve over the next 12 months. How do you think the Fed's going to try to address uh, what has been a supply issue to date, but could morph into, you know, a demand issue? There's only so much they can do, yeah. but I think they will, they will be sensitive to it. I think they're obviously going to be speaking with a lot of corporations and CEOs, and they'll have an idea of sort of any pressures that are throughout the economic system. But I don't think it's, that's not the, that's a blunt tool when you need a lot of other tools possibly to deal with something like this. How many frantic phone calls have you fielded yeah. from your clients saying, should I sell everything? <laughs> We've had a few, um, <laughs> but only a few. Uh, I think there's always an inverse correlation between phone calls incoming from clients and directions of markets. <laughs> so uh, this is pretty extreme, but it's been very quick. You know, it's this really a five-day dramatic yep. sell-off. So it's it's coming. But there, there's also just a lack of information that everyone has. That's the real issue, is that no one can – investors won't make a decision until they understand exactly what their analysis is. Traders have one decision, sell or short. So you've got this sort of one community of people that have a very easy decision to make. And longer-term investors are looking at a market that, you know, after a 15% correction, it's still pretty fairly valued. You know, we were here a month ago talking about yep. growth expectations being 10% uh, were too high. That seems like a good prediction today. Right. Uh, but so the investing base is going to sit and watch and wait 
And that doesn't help market short term. So what do you tell those folks who call you up frantically? Um, is it kind of just kind of the, we're long-term investors here, you know, don't panic? Yeah, we, we do. Luckily, we began trimming some of our equity positions in Q4 exclusively because of valuations. And we always have hedges on, but we actually added the hedges not to do the coronavirus, just because cost of protection and valuations in the, at the end of January. So we have some, some good narrative to tell our clients and that there's some protective elements of our portfolio. But ultimately, quality assets survive periods like this. Lower quality assets are challenged. And the corporate credit market with gearing and really the high yield market, there's a big imbalance there that this may be, that's, that bears watching. I would say that's the one thing that we're going to keep an eye on over the next couple of weeks and months. So the Fed very much in focus today as people ramp up their rate cutting expectations. Uh, Charles Retsky over at Mizuho Securities putting out a note talk, talking about the last time the Fed actually had an intermeeting uh, rate cut was February 2008. We know what happened after that. Yeah. Um, but I am wondering from your perspective, is that a sure bet and will that support markets if the Fed comes out and does what the what, what traders are certainly pricing in, which is more than two rate cuts by June? I, I think the news flow will still dominate markets. It will be helpful, clearly. It's always helpful. But I, I think ultimately the, the information that is gathered, either incrementally positive information about the virus, greater understanding, new rules, uh, and, and maybe containment of spread, that will have a much more <laughs> pronounced impact on markets or the converse. So, I, again, I think a monetary tool is helpful. It's certainly helpful to corporations or, that are levered and have you know real interest rates and all of a sudden they may have a, a, a sharp drop in demand. But I, I think the news from this, it's all about this right now. And so how do you typically in your, I mean, we can think back to the fourth quarter of 2018 or certainly going back to the financial crisis, but... When you see markets uh, falling like this, again, 15, 16% just in seven trading days, um, it, it, it kind of that falling knife analogy mm -hmm. comes here and you don't want to be the person catching that falling knife. Uh, do you wait for a day or two of green on the screen before you say, okay, I think this thing might have found bottom? Generally, well, from a trading standpoint, three huge down days, high volume days, that's generally a capitulation point. Yeah. Um, and we're... We've seen some of that. I don't think we've seen enough of that, candidly. But we're not traders. In the end of Q4-18, we saw that as a non-fundamental. We disagreed with the market analysis that we were entering a recession. That's why we added risk exposure at that time. Today, we're at, everyone's in a huge void of information. Every, you know, you're seeing cancellation. This week alone, you look at the news flow about yep. cancellations and people banning you know, corporations, not allowing people to fly out of the country, I mean, et cetera, et cetera. It's expanding. Schools are being, I'm getting emails about my kids' right. preschools. And, you know, so all this stuff is very fluid. Um, it's, uh, it's, no, this is not what people are trained to analyze, ultimately. All right. Michael, just lastly, to wrap it all up and put a sort of a bow on the day, today uh, is another day to find a haven investment. What's the best haven? Wow, well, big yeah, sigh. Yeah. Yeah. We have such a negative forward view on treasuries, so it's been the best haven and gold. Uh, we own gold. We think that is just, but that's not a trade. We think that's just a generally a, a good asset to have in the mix. So you're basically uh, 
putting cash in a mattress and sleeping as well as you possibly can. I, I, yeah, I never agreed with the cash is trash quote that came out a couple months ago. I think <laughs> you I, like I, cash. I, every great long-term investor always has a little liquidity when things like this happen. Interesting. Okay. Michael Tiedemann, thanks so much for joining us. Michael Tiedemann is the Chief Executive Officer for Tiedemann Advisors. Uh, $21 billion under management, so lots of capital uh, in the marketplace. Uh, joining us here in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. The message to the Federal Reserve today is we don't care what you say. We are expecting four rate cuts by the end of January. That at least is the impression from markets. Joining us now to discuss, Brian Chapato, who's a Bloomberg Opinion columnist covering all things debt related. And Brian, I'm looking right now, it's nearly a full four rate cuts by the end of January currently priced in. This comes even after Jim Bullard, uh, the, the Fed's Jim Bullard, came out earlier today and basically said, yeah, I guess we'll cut if it's a pandemic, but, you know, it's too early to know, which wasn't comforting to markets. Right. Yeah. The base case is still for keeping policy on hold. And for the I, Federal Reserve, not for markets. No, for mar <laughs> I, mean, I mean, markets like people are hedging effectively for rates hitting the zero bound like by mid-year at this point, which is just kind of nuts. I mean, obviously, you got to hedge, so you don't necessarily need the rates to hit zero by then. But I mean, it's just kind of crazy. Um, the Fed is not willing to... Uh, appease the markets, at least not to this extent. I think it's just a massive market meltdown and a freak out right now. And people are just buying things up. And that's, of course, causing the pricing to look like there's going to be a lot of cuts. But I mean, people are talking about inter-meeting cuts like happening over the weekend or on Monday morning if stocks keep falling. I just don't see that at all. So, but Brian, one could argue with a cynical mind, like we have some cynics uh, around. He just pointed to me <laughs> that, for those who are watching on radio. Watching on radio, uh, that this is a Fed who maybe has responded to the markets, maybe more than they should have. Um, still, though, you think they're going to be focusing on the data? Yeah, I mean, Robert Kaplan said uh, to Fox Business today, he said, I will make a decision on a rate cut by March 17th, 18th, which is their meeting. And I expect a rate cut at the March meeting. I mean, I don't, unless the markets somehow rebound tremendously, I think they would lose a lot of credibility if they don't do anything. But for them to do something extraordinary right now doesn't seem likely. It's not like, I think pretty much everyone concludes that a one rate cut will not solve the coronavirus, right? And it's unclear whether that's kind of comical. I, I mean, say, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's unclear whether anybody out there who's pounding the table for a rate cut. I mean, if you got a 25 basis rate cut this afternoon, would you be buying stocks? I'm not sure. Well, this actually is a really interesting question. What will it take for people to go in, buy stocks, buy riskier debt? I mean, you came into the studio and you said, you know, people have been saying they're just waiting for an opportunity to buy the dip. Here it is. And everyone a huge says, dip. I'm not going to fall. I'm not going to catch this falling knife. What do they have to see? What are the people you're talking to saying? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like people just want some clarity uh, around how, uh, you know, elected officials are going to get their hands around the the coronavirus. And there's nothing that the Fed can do. Again, I mean, they have a few options. They can either go back to QE, and they're still already buying treasury bills. So for all those who said, oh, you know, they're buying treasury bills, and that's causing the stock market to melt up. I mean, they're still doing that, but it doesn't really matter right now. Um, or they can cut rates. And neither of those things provides any certainty around the coronavirus front. You see Mick Mulvaney come out today and say it's possible schools will have to close in the U.S., People get really freaked out. Like they don't want their daily lives to be affected by this. And even if borrowing costs are the cheapest they've ever been, uh, that's not going to really resolve that concern. 
so, I mean, that kind of goes to the issue. I think what we're seeing maybe in some of this accelerating risk off feel, it's just every day is, you know, there's another potentially big shoe to drop. And that is, you know, a spread within the U.S., which we really haven't seen yet. That's the headline risk that I think a lot of traders probably don't want to deal with at well, this point. Well, hold on a second. Do you think that the market, that forget the market, that the economy isn't starting to prepare for that? I mean, how many people have you known who've been stockpiling food? Buying, Answer to your question. You bought masks. Answer to your <laughs> question is no. I don't think the market has discounted um, a spread, a material spread in the U.S. But I think that potentially, well, I think that's just kind of what the market's telling us maybe. And the thing is, is you saw Christine Lagarde yesterday come out and say, even on the ECB side, we don't see necessary monetary policy response just yet. And that, you know, she oversees Italy, obviously, and Italy's had quite an outbreak over there. So even, uh, even people who are overseeing uh, economies that have been hit by this are saying, this is not a monetary policy issue. I don't know what you want from us. Um, and that's going to be really interesting for markets to digest because to the point about last year's rate cuts, I mean, they effectively backstopped a trade war and a trade war could have been stopped by elected officials. And this cannot necessarily be. So the Fed used a bunch of ammunition on a problem that could be resolved by people relatively easily. Um, and this is going to be a lot harder. Brian Chabata, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate uh, your thoughts. We know you are busy uh, here. You can read Brian's uh, great opinion work at uh, on the terminal at OPINGO and on Bloomberg.com slash opinion. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg PL podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at PT Sweeney. I'm Lisa Abramowitz. I'm on Twitter at Lisa Abramowitz1. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.